0: I have enjoyed so much uh, not only our study of Ezekiel, but the ability to go through uh, so many of these Old Testament prophecies and observe just how God was visualizing the gospel so early on and trying to communicate here are the glorious things that God is going to do uh, when his son comes, and we have been using. Uh, the back end of Ezekiel and talking about when the Spirit comes, here are all the events to expect. We saw in chapter 34 that it all begins with a shepherd, that we need a shepherd, God himself coming to lead his people because uh, humans are not going to do it. And so ultimately God says, I myself will be the one to solve the problem. We saw in chapters 35 and 36 When the spirit comes, there's the the inheritance that's going to be given to his people. This promise that is seen through a land promise given to Abraham is ultimately culminated in Jesus ruling over heaven and earth and giving that also to his followers to reign with him eternally. We also saw in chapter 36 that when the spirit comes, God is going to cause his people to. To walk in his ways and make them obey his rules. Which we left as a big question about, well, how is God going to do that? And the answer to that is the cross. That God sending his own son to die on behalf of the world is to be the, the great catalyst in the hearts of the people to no longer be stubborn, stony hearts but rather be hearts of flesh that now desire not sin, but desire God. Now we're in chapter 37, and this is a chapter that also can easily be misunderstood and has been misinterpreted quite a bit throughout the centuries. And so it'll be useful to put a corrective on this text as well as to see Uh, The New Testament imagery that you have Ezekiel uh, prophesying, We now get to see a vision. And if you know anything about Ezekiel, you might know this vision. There's probably just a couple of passages that uh, have reference points uh, that we're used to. And Ezekiel 37 is one of them. It is an amazing vision. And in that, we're going to see God predicting again what he's going to do for the world, do for his people uh, when the Spirit comes. Now, in Ezekiel 37, I want you to just visualize the scene that is put before us. as, As now, remember, Ezekiel is in captivity, he's in exile, he is in Babylon, but in this vision, he is going to see something fairly amazing. In verse one, we're told the hand of the Lord, Ezekiel 37 verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones and he led me around among them and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry. I want you to have a visual. I don't know if you're like me and you grew up with cartoons and you saw, you know, like a, this valley, this canyon area, and you'd visualize like the dead animal bones. But rather than it being animal bones strewn all over the place, this is a picture of human bones just strewn all over this valley or this canyon. And you have a picture of Ezekiel walking around looking at it. And it looks like those bones have been there for a really long time because it says the bones are very dry. And so just imagine strewn bones all over the place. Because God asks a really unusual question now to Ezekiel at this moment. In verse 3, you notice that here is God's question. Mortal, can these bones live? And I would imagine in a physical way, you would look around and go, no, (laughs) no. There are human bones everywhere. They've been here a really long time. Are you suggesting that these bones could possibly come back to life? But Ezekiel, the wise prophet that he is, says, Lord, you know, this is is your department. This is not my department. You know the answer to that. And notice within what God says in verse four, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them. O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I, I notice what God says I want you. To go to the dry bones. And I want you to prophesy to them. That would also be really unusual here. I want you to go prophesy, Adam. I want you to speak over them. And here's what you're going to say. Thus says the word of the Lord. You're going to say this over them. And notice in else he tells them to say. He says, prophesy over the bones. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord. And notice that verses 5 and 6 say when you do that, I'm going to cause my breath to come into them, and they will live. Now, in Hebrew, the, the word breath is, is a word that it is, can be translated a number of ways in English. Sometimes the English will translate it spirit. Sometimes the English will translate it breath. And it's an interchangeable word. And it's a word play here because you're going to notice that your translation will probably flip-flop Back and forth between breath and spirit. And the idea is the same. It is the the same word being used. In fact, when you have God saying, I want you to prophesy over those bones. And then God says in verse five, I'm going to cause my breath to enter them and they will live. Does that remind you of some event that happens early on? But Genesis, this is how Adam comes to life. God breathes into Adam his breath and it says he became a living creature and now you're getting the same visual Ezekiel do you see these bones they are strewn about they are just laying disconnected dry bones can they live and God says I want you just to simply prophesy over them hear the word of the Lord and when you do they will come to life. I will put my breath in them. And I want you to notice the visual there of with this restoration in verse six, where you have a picture of there's going to be muscles and tendons and ligaments, all that are going to begin to go back on all of these bodies. And he says, not only that in verse six, I'm going to cover them with skin and put my breath in them and they will live and you will know that I am the Lord. So notice verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And I just visualize it. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And you just imagine just looking at all of these bones and saying, hear the word of the Lord. And all of a sudden the sound begins. And verse seven, behold, a rattling as the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come on them and skin had covered them. So just imagine just watching this scene of these bones just beginning to connect back together again into human form. And then muscles and tendons and ligaments all beginning to build onto it and flesh is there and then skin begins to cover over it. And here are all of these bodies now standing but then it says something interesting in verse 8. But there was no breath in them or no spirit in them. So verse 9, then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus uh, says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. So you just imagine as these bodies are coming together and then suddenly the bodies are now upright and they are breathing and alive and they are described as this great army before God. It is an imagery of restoration that is is going to happen. Not only are the bodies being made whole, but the bigger picture is life is being restored. Life is given to these bones so that now they are able to be what you would say is a normal human being. They are alive. They are breathing. They are whole. They have been restored. Now, he doesn't tell us what he means by that yet. Just, you just take in that visual of just all of these bodies now coming to life again that were dead and lifeless, dry, ruined, hopeless, and gone. And I want you to now notice what it says there in verse 11, because this is the key to the message of what this is about. Verse 11. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is a very important information point that's being given here. As you look at this whole army that has now come to life, he says, this is the people of Israel. Now, why is this important? Well, notice what God says next in verse 11. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Indeed, we are cut off. I want you to think about what they're saying, especially where we are in the book of Ezekiel at this point. Back in chapter 33, We have the messenger coming from Jerusalem to Babylon saying Jerusalem has fallen. The temple has been destroyed. And with the temple destroyed to us, that doesn't necessarily communicate a whole lot. But as we saw, as Ezekiel pictured in those early chapters, this was God saying, I'm not with you anymore. His presence has left the temple. It is gone to the mountain. He has allowed his city to be taken over by the Gentiles because of their disobedience. Remember in our lessons, they've turned their back on me. They are in their idolatry. They no longer seek me. They don't care about my ways anymore. They have been following their idols even since the days of Egypt and still they are now. And so God is saying, you're not my people anymore. We have a separation that exists and the people are now seeming to understand this. When you read Ezekiel and you read the prophecies of Jeremiah, the people seem to think that it was impossible for this temple to be destroyed. And it was impossible for God to leave them. Jeremiah is saying, God's going to leave. And they're saying, no, 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 we have the temple. God's with us. He will never leave us. But now the temple has gone. And it seems to me that chapter 37 is recording a light bulb has suddenly come on. Because notice what they are saying. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. Indeed, we are cut off. It's almost like, yeah, exactly. God has been warning that this is going to happen. God has been saying repeatedly, your sins have cut you off. You can't be my people anymore. And now finally they are beginning to understand what God has been saying through Ezekiel all along. But now they seem to be at a spot where they're almost despondent. We have no hope. We're doomed. We've been cut off from God and there's no chance of restoration. There is no hope. There's no help. And what are we now going to do now that the temple has been destroyed? And what you have God then ultimately asking is, Can God give life to this nation again? Can these spiritually dead people now have a hope of restoration? Is there any chance for them to return as the people of God? And you're getting the visual of exactly what God is saying is, here is Israel, here are their bones strewn all over the place, dried, and they are hopeless, and they are helpless, and they are separated and doomed. Ezekiel, can those bones come back to life? And then God says, prophesy my word over the bones and watch what happens. Now, notice God's answer in explanation in verse 12. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back into the land of Israel, for you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will have pla- and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it declares the Lord. Here is God's big message here. God says, I'm going to open their graves, raise them to life, and I'm going to put my spirit or breath, as we see in the visual, put my breath back in them, and they will come back to life. Now, what I want to spend our time doing is just looking at how the New Testament frequently expects us to have an understanding of this visual, that God is making a promise. When my Messiah, when the Christ comes, when I send my son and the spirit arrives, there is going to be new life put into the people, the people that are dead in their sins, hopeless and helpless. Life is coming. Restoration is coming. They will now be able to be my people yet again. And so think about some of the passages, one that we know really well. Note how Paul plays on that language, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saying, and raised us up. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's what Ezekiel is prophesying. I'm going to take my people out of their graves. I'm going to raise them out, put my breath in them, and they're going to come alive and be my people. And now Paul comes along and goes and says, So, guess what's happened in Christ? You were dead in the graves, you were cut off, you were the dry bones, you were helpless and hopeless. But you've been made alive, you've been raised up with him, and now you are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me take you to another place where I think you see that symbolism is in in John 11. I don't have time to read through it, unfortunately, but I want to just kind of follow the sense of this discussion. In John 11, you have the death of Lazarus. And Mary and Martha are the sisters to Lazarus. And you might remember there's this discussion and there's great faith on the part of the sisters. If you had only been here, our brother would have never died. And there's a discussion that happens with Martha for a little bit. And and Jesus says these words, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And, and, And her response is. I know that there will be the resurrection to the life in the last day. She already is communicating. Yes, we know that there is life after death. There's something beyond the physical. But here's what I want you to think about as the story progresses. Is that Jesus moves from not only talking about a concept of physical life after death. But the idea of a spiritual life that would exist. Here's what I mean. So you fast forward a little bit more in chapter 11. And you remember that Jesus is coming to the tomb of Lazarus. And you remember what the sisters are saying? He's been in the tomb for four days. And he stinks now. In essence, it's too late. Or to put it another way, which is not English, but I feel like it has to work here. The kind of the point they're making is Lazarus is too dead. You know, if you'd been here sooner, but Lord, it's been four days now. It's too late. He's too dead to be brought back to life. And Jesus doesn't say, well, you're right. That's going to be tough for me. There's a symbolism involved that no one is too dead. Now, think about how does Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? But he speaks over the bones. Lazarus, come out. He's not too dead. It was not too late for life to come into him, for God to put his breath into him. That restoration was still possible, even though physically he looks like the dry bones and it's dead. It's impossible. There's no chance. There's no way of life, right? No, there is because no one is too dead. And that's what you're seeing in that image. And that's what John was teaching earlier before that event happened. Here's the words of Jesus. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. And now listen to what Jesus says. The words I have spoken to you, they're the spirit and life. This is what Ezekiel's talking about is the word of God is somehow going to reanimate these dead people. Somehow His words are going to give them life again and they will stand up and have the spirit in them and they will become this army. And here is Jesus walking around saying, you know, the spirit gives life and they would all understand that. Yep, we'll talk about that actually in just a minute. But then Jesus pushes that a little bit further and says, you understand that when I speak, that gives life. You understand my words are spirit and life. And that's the picture that you're supposed to see when you read about the spirit in scriptures. Quick, important point that's laid out here. In Genesis 1, first time you read about the spirit of God. And it says that the spirit of God was moving over the waters, this void. Why? What's being pictured here? What's about to happen? As the spirit is moving, the next thing you're going to see is God speak life. The spirit is this important connection of life. It's the life of God. It's the breath of God. When the spirit comes, there must be life. And that's why the very first scene you get when you first get the word of God, you go, all right, here we go in the beginning. And then the first thing is the spirit is hovering. Well, what's about to happen Life's about to happen. Well, how's life going to happen? God speaks it. God speaks and life explodes. He needs to start saying for things to start happening and boom, there it all goes. This is the picture that I think God is trying to communicate to us through this is that when the spirit comes, life is going to come. Those who are cut off, those who are dead in their sins are now going to have life again and God is going to breathe his spirit into them so that they are no longer dead but alive now let me take you to Romans 8 because this is where this really comes into play here's a whole discussion that now that I've looked at Ezekiel I'm like there's no doubt in my mind Paul has Ezekiel 37 in the background of what this discussion he is giving here about the flesh and the spirit and life listen to what the apostle Paul says in verse 5 of Romans eight, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh; but those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is notice connection life. The spirit is always about the giving of life. Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Now think about the imagery of Ezekiel. I'm going to put my breath in you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I am going to take your dead bones that are cut off from God and separated from God, where you're hopeless and helpless, and I'm going to breathe new life into you. That's the imagery here. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, do you hear Ezekiel 37, these dead bones because of sin? The spirit is life. Because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Here is Ezekiel in a visual Projecting what Paul is going to come along and say. And what an amazing picture that's given here. Is if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If you have this life giving spirit. If you are connected to Christ. Then though the body is dead because of sin. That was back in verse 10. God now can give life to your mortal flesh. God is able to raise you from the dead, so to speak, who's been spiritually cut off from God and now animate your body yet again so that it can be alive to God. Don't have time, but what's the rest of chapter 8 going to talk about and all of chapter 6 going to talk about except presenting your bodies alive as members of righteousness because God has now made you alive in that. Your dead body that now was against God is now been made alive. And now you can serve the living God in that way. Ezekiel is picturing this radical transformation so that now our minds are not set on the flesh, but set on the spirit. And again, what did he just talk about here? Well, in Ezekiel 36, he said, I'm going to take out those stubborn hearts and I'm going to give you hearts of flesh so that you'll obey me. And what is Paul now talking about here? Well, he's saying your mind is now going to no longer be set on the flesh, but it's going to be set on the spirit and you're going to walk according to the spirit. You're going to walk according to this new life that's been given to you. And Jesus himself said that in John 6 and and verse 36, that is the spirit that gives life. What God is doing is promising that when the spirit comes, People are going to be raised to life from that spiritual deadness. This text in Ezekiel 37 is not telling us that there is a bodily resurrection at the end of the age, which we absolutely believe and have many other passages to go to to prove that like 1 Corinthians 4.15. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a people who are cut off and severed because of sins. And there is now new life put into his people so that they're no longer dead. But now they've been been raised to life. And it is God's word that has the power to give that life. And I want to underscore that for a minute. What Ezekiel is saying is what will give life? My words prophesy over the bones and say, hear the word of the Lord. Because it is the hearing of the word of the Lord that causes transformation. It is the hearing of the word of the Lord that gives life. That is how it's going to happen. Jesus' own words. My words are spirit and life. My words are what is going to put life back into you so that you can stand before me whole and complete. And so often we live in a time right now where... Church and religion and activities are everything but the speaking of the word of God. It's about fun and food and entertainment and shows and programs and stories and games. That's not what's going to give life. And it's not what's going to give transformation. And that's not what's going to bring you back to life that God wants you to have. It is his very words that are going to do this. And so the cross and the resurrection stand as this life-giving moment to the world. Now, here's something fun. I'll get to Matthew 27 one day in Sunday morning, but we have to talk about it now. Because there's this really strange event that's described there. In talking about the death of Jesus... It also mentions that the tombs were opened when we have the great earthquake and the darkness and all that. And then there's this little line in verses 52 and 53 that says, and after his resurrection, those bodies that were in those tombs came to life and walked around the holy city. And that's all it says. And you're just like, That had to be something. I can't imagine what that looked like. (laughs) All of a sudden, somebody that you knew that died years ago is walking around the city. Why did that happen? Because Ezekiel said, when my son comes and when the spirit comes, he's going to give life to the dead. And he didn't only mean that one day in the resurrection we will all have life, but he came to give life to dead bodies. Those who were cut off, dried out, and severed are now given the Spirit of God to come back to life as God breathes upon them so that they are reanimated again. And you're getting a physical visual of it That when Jesus raises from the dead, that life is being extended to anyone who will come to him. I'll make this point. When we studied the Holy Spirit a few years ago in the Wednesday night class in detail, I'll remind you a little bit of it here. When Peter stands up and preaches and they ask, what should we do? Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God will call to himself. If you remember, I tried to give you a shorthand of a bunch of R.E. words that when the spirit comes, there would be restoration would be one of the big words. There'd be a return of God's blessings. There would be a return of the covenant and God would reestablish these things with his people. And here is another picture of it. What was promised about God's spirit? What was going to happen? Life. Repent and be baptized and you'll be forgiven and you're going to have restoration and life. You're going to be restored. Those dead bodies can now live for God, which in Ephesians 2, when he talked about you were dead in your sins, but he made you alive, raised you up and seated. Do you remember how that paragraph ends? So we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You have been now given new life. You've been reanimated and you now can serve the living God in righteousness and holiness because he has made you alive to that very purpose. So let's end this picture this way. Then in conclusion, here is Israel saying we are helpless and hopeless. The key there of verse 11 of Ezekiel 37 is so important. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are truly cut off. We have no chance before God anymore. And we are so therefore dead in our sins. And here is God proclaiming the power to say, I can still raise you to new life. I can still change you. And God has proven that power in the resurrection. That the resurrection of Jesus not only proves, yes, life after death, there is something more waiting for us for eternity, but it proves that God has the power now to give spiritually dead people a new life. Romans chapter six and verse four talks about that we would be raised to walk in newness of life. You have been given a new life. And so I want to end this way. It's easy for us to think in the same way that Israel thought. Our hope is gone. Too many sins. I'm too dead. Quantity of sins is too many. Severity of sins is too deep. My hope is gone. I'm certainly cut off. I'm like a dead, strewn bones in the desert with no chance of revival, no chance of restoration. And I want you to hear God's words that God is able to say, your hope is not gone. That God has the power to take what we would qualify as the deadest of souls and reanimate it to life. That God can take those who seem so far from God and give them new life so that they become uh, people of God and servants of God. What is impossible for us in starting over, in starting clean, in starting new is possible by the power of Jesus Christ. And here is Ezekiel a long way out making a promise saying, I know you think you're too far gone from God, but when I send my spirit, life's going to explode. And that's why Peter in Acts 2 stands up and says, this event that you just saw tells you something. Not only has Jesus risen from the dead, Not only is he seated on the throne, but he can now give you life because the promise is to you and to your children and to those who are far off, as many as our God will call to himself, the power of God's word to give life to the dead. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your power. It is amazing that by your word, You can bring the physical back to life. By your word, we see it in Lazarus who comes back to life. We see it in in, in a daughter in, in Jesus' day who he speaks the words and they come back to life. But then to also know, Lord, that your word has the power to heal our hurt souls. And to cleanse us of the deepest sins. To be able to scrub out the filth that's inside. And to give us a whole new life. Lord, thank you for giving us the ability to start again. Thank you for giving us the chance. To start fresh with you. And we thank you that that's possible through your son. We thank you for giving us your spirit that gives us life, that makes us whole, and that your words can enter into our hearts and radically transform us to be a whole new people made in your image. And Lord, I pray that your words would penetrate our lives every day and that we would be transformed all the more every day so that we would desire you more, that we would turn away from sin and be able to present ourselves as instruments of righteousness to you. Thank you for our new chance. Thank you for the new life. And thank you for redeeming our sinful souls so that we can be clean before you and righteous for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to Jesus tonight and to appreciate the the resurrection to new life that's available to you, to see that the offer of a new start, a new cleansing, a new way can begin with you if you'll turn away from sin and follow him with all of your heart, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. That's your start point to get right with him before it's too late. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?